Thanks for joining us at Faith. We hope the message you're about to hear encourages your day and draws you closer to Jesus. If you'd like to join us for service or find out more about the church, visit faith.church. That's faith.church. Well, guys, listen, today we're continuing with this series on Daniel on living for God in an ungodly culture. And God's been meeting us in really special places, and he's been challenging us in special areas of our lives. And so we want to lean in today. And so we've been looking at Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and how they have remained faithful to God's purpose and call on their lives. They have served the culture that they were in, which was ungodly and Babylonian, while remaining true to their purpose as followers of God. And so this account today out of Daniel chapter 3 is one of the the most well-known accounts that we have, that that you've probably known. If you grew up in church, you would be aware of this or you grew up in Sunday school. Sunday school teachers love to teach this because it's an amazing story of God's intervention into their lives when they stood for God. And so we come to Daniel chapter 3 today as we've been working through the... um, We've been working through this book. And so as we step into this, we know there's, there's Daniel chapter 2, which we were in just last week. And funny enough, Daniel chapter 3 follows that, but that's not my point. But Daniel chapter 3 then begins to, to, to walk into this experience that these men of God have. Daniel chapter 2, there was a dream. Daniel interpreted it. And then we come to Daniel chapter 3. And so we see... Now, King Nebuchadnezzar, though in the dream of Daniel chapter 2, though the statue that that King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream of, Daniel interpreted that the head of the statue was gold and that the rest of the body was made up of different materials. And what that meant was that the areas of the the materials of the different statue meant King Nebuchadnezzar's reign was going to be temporary. It was going to be very bold and very impactful, but it was only going to be temporary. And so as we come to this today, we're going to prepare our hearts for what God wants to do. I believe God wants to do something in your life. I believe we're living in a day and age that God is wanting to strengthen the backbone of the church so that we can actually be different than the world. Amen? You will never make a difference unless you are different. So we come to Daniel chapter 3, and I'm reading from the message today just because I love the, the narration of it. And so let's begin Daniel chapter 3, verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar built a gold statue, 90 feet high and 9 feet thick. He set it up on the Dura Plain in the province of Babylon. He then ordered all the important leaders in in the province, everybody who was anybody, to the dedication ceremony of the statue. They all came for the dedication, all the important people, and took their places before the statue of Nebuchadnezzar had erected. A herald then proclaimed in a loud voice, attention, everyone, every race, color, and creed. Listen, when you hear the band strike up all the trumpets and trombones, the tubas and baritones, the drums and cymbals, fall to your knees and worship the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Anyone who does not kneel and worship shall be thrown immediately into a roaring furnace. The band started to play, a huge band equipped with all the musical instruments of Babylon and everyone, every race, color, and creed fell on their knees and worshiped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. 
Now, when you first read this passage, you think, well, last week in Daniel chapter 2, you think, man, that was pretty, pretty quick. Daniel said, this is what the statue means. And in chapter 3, King Nebuchadnezzar is like, I think I'll build a statue. Actually, that's not what's going on here. As I said earlier, Daniel's interpretation was that King Nebuchadnezzar's reign was not going to be very long, but it would be powerful. But when we come to Daniel chapter 3, we think, why would, why would King Nebuchadnezzar respond so quickly? Well, when you first read this, you, you think it's very quick, but in Daniel chapter 2 verse 1, it says, in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign. Now, when you get to chapter 3, the, the Septuagint, the Greek um, version of the Old Testament, chapter 3 begins in the 18th year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign. So we have 16 years have gone by from the interpretation of the dream to now in chapter 3. The statue is built. There's this other, it's been 16 years. So why would King Nebuchadnezzar do that? Well, I think after 16 years, King Nebuchadnezzar said, you know, all those prophecies Daniel said was going to happen, haven't happened. So you know what? I remember, I, I, I remember that my head in the dream was gold. And by golly, I think I'm going to build a big statue. Doesn't consider his reign was to be temporary. Doesn't consider all the other prophetic things that Daniel spoke. But what he does remember, my head was gold and I like that and I'm a king and I'm full of myself. So I'm going to build something. And he didn't. I mean, at this point, King, King Nebuchadnezzar had forgotten about the supernatural invention, the, it, the supernatural intervention in the dream. Forgotten about how the God of Daniel spoke to him. Forgotten about how not only did Daniel give the interpretation, Daniel didn't even know the dream. God showed Daniel the dream and then gave Daniel the interpretation. This king had forgotten all about it. And now there is this statue, 90 feet tall, gold, top to bottom. This was not a normal gathering of the passage we just read. This was something that was created for a worship service. This was not a, a gathering, a network of, of hors d'oeuvres and, and, and cocktails. This was a gathering of purpose to bow and to worship. Now hear me today, a cultural idol. This was a celebration and worship for a God in their culture. Now remember, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not of this culture. They were taken from their home and they were enslaved, but they were men of God. They were men that had been separated. They were men still faithful to God, but they were called to serve the culture they were in now. Now, most scholars would, would believe it's either two things. This statue that King Nebuchadnezzar created was a statue of him, or the other one, this was a statue of a Babylonian god, which would have been King Nebuchadnezzar's god. Most things point to this was a statue that was built to look like a god that the Babylonian culture worshiped. This was a worship event. This was like revive in Babylon, 20 whatever it was. That's what this was. So the text doesn't explicitly say exactly what it was, but everything points to it was a god, it was an idol. But what is clear in this event is that this act is contrary and totally opposite of what God's people should be doing. God's people should not be bowing down to another idol. 
And it's interesting that the text goes to great lengths to, to recognize this was, a, this was a pagan moment. This was a moment of cultural worship. In the original text, within the first seven verses of what I just read, the word statue is mentioned ten times. For the Babylonian culture, it was totally fine. That's what they do. They worship many gods. They bow to many gods. They sacrifice food to many gods. They live their lives with the, with the understanding of many gods and their sexual morality. And they just do whatever. That's the Babylonian culture. And this was probably a moment. Now, hear me for a second. This was probably a national moment. A national moment. Maybe a moment of national unification politically. Maybe this was a moment of religious alliance to the same cultural God. This was, this was like that, that moment. It was to, to be there was to show of individual conformity. This was something big from the king. Listen, this is a day that we're all going to unify. We're all going to come together. We're all going to bow the same idol. We're all going to individually submit. And if you do not, the cost for not conforming is death. Now, where is Daniel? Well, in this passage, we don't know. He's probably off on the king's business doing something for the king. But these three men who are no longer teenagers as they were in chapter 1 and 2. They were living in a culture that's not of them. They were followers of God. They were familiar with the Word of God. They were familiar with the teaching of the prophets. They were familiar with it, what it says in Scripture. They were familiar with the Ten Commandments, and here they are at a worship service for a pagan God where everyone is commanded to bow. And if you don't, you will die. Their leader, the king said, bow down and worship the statue. But their God said, do not bow. So here they are. They're aware of Exodus 20, where God says to God's people, you shall have no other gods besides me or before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. This was a big deal. You shall have no other gods. Carved, made up of any image, you are to have none of them in your life. So for you, my friends, today, I want you to understand there will come a time when you will be asked to bow in submission to an idol of culture. If it's not happened, it will. And to bow means to come into agreement with something that the Word of God says is not to be for those who follow him. Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Bowing to the, the idol of culture is 
changing your beliefs to escape opposition, changing your belief to avoid suffering, to bow is submitting to culture, even if it means violating your convictions to fit in, to climb the corporate ladder, to lie when asked about your faith and what you believe. We can be certain that there will be a time that the idols of culture will present themselves to us over our life over and over and over again. Now some will come quietly. Some you won't bow, you won't bow privately, but some will be on a public stage. Some all eyes will be on you. Some this moment will come for you. And because we love our God. And because he saved us, because he sent his son for us, because he gave it all so that we could have life. Because while I was a, an, an enemy of God, he actually died for me. He pursued me. He came after me. He found me. He rescued me. And because of my appreciation and adoration to a God who will never leave me, never forsake me, never abandon me, he's taken me from the kingdom of darkness and he's placed me in the kingdom of light. He's marked me with his name. Because of my love for him, I will not bow. This is not about resisting culture because we don't like it. This is not about us in defiance. Don't tell me what to do. No, no. Our refusal to stand and not bow is because I love him. That's what these three men, that was their motivation. So when you love, when your love for God causes you to stand instead of bow. What can we expect? We're going to learn from these three men today in this account. Number one, you will be criticized for your choice. You will be. Living your life for God isn't always the most popular thing. Maybe it used to be, not anymore. Actually, sometimes living for God can put us in some very difficult situations. You know, the, the whole heart of this series, this is, a, this is a, um, um, a series of discipleship. This is a series to strengthen you. This is a series to, to plant in you something in your heart that says, I will not bow. And my desire in this is to strengthen you, you as an individual, you as families, all the messages we're getting in our world that try to tell us what we, what we are to believe and what really truth is and oh just 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 let just just flow with whatever people say truth is because you know that's just what you do. Listen, God is calling His people to stand strong and to stand strong because they love Him. And when you do that, you will be criticized. We're living in a culture where pressure from culture, from an ungod, ungodly culture. Now, culture isn't the enemy, they're a victim of it, but ungodly culture puts pressure and will criticize us on how we choose to live our lives. 
but it's nothing like these men are facing. We're not at a pagan worship service <laughs> demanded to bow. It's not like our brothers and sisters around the world where many of them have lost their lives because they refused to bow, because they wanted to live a life that's faithful to God, to live for their Savior has led them to be hated, to be ostracized, and to be criticized. But these men that we have today made a choice, and that choice was regardless of what happens, they will not bow. And that, that them doing that out of their love for God brought on them criticism. And when it was noticed they weren't bowing, verse 8, just then some Babylonian fortune tellers stepped up and accused the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, long live the king. They were buttering him up. That's what was going on right there. You gave strict orders, O God, that when the big band started playing, everyone had to fall to their knees and worship the gold statue. And whoever did not go to their knees and worship it had to be pitched into the roaring furnace. Well, there are some Jews here, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have placed in high positions in the province of Babylon. And these men are ignoring you, O king. They don't respect your gods, and they don't worship the gold statue you set up. You see, these three men had settled in their hearts the question when asked to worship, when asked to bow down, when asked to change my beliefs, when asked to violate what I know to be true in the Bible, I will not bow. When asked to, to give allegiance to another God outside of Yahweh, they had decided in their heart they will not. So when the music played, as you can, if you can just put yourself there with me for a moment, there's a statue, 90 feet tall, made of gold, glistening in the sun, a sea of very important people. I mean, the who's who is there, the best of the best, those who, the wealthy, the influential, the political, those who, who have very successful businesses, those who, who the king would want around them. This is a, this is a big honor and a big deal. And so, the sea of people, and the music plays, and the crowd turns to give attention to the 90-foot gold statue of a god, and they begin to bow. They begin to bow, and you can hear the rustling happening throughout the crowd as people are bowing in submission to this image. Then as they come to the, to the low part of their bow, the movement quiets. And as you would scan the crowd, there would be three figures that stood out like a sore thumb. And I imagine in my mind they were standing next to each other. And by the time everyone stood back up, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had drawn some attention. People had seen them. They were probably watching, him all, watching them all along, but they'd seen them. And all of a sudden, 
there began to be some activity. And by the time everyone got back to their feet, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were, they were trending on social media. Hashtag Christians don't respect others. Hashtag brainwashed. Hashtag Christians hate people. Hashtag Christians need to get with the times. Hashtag Christians need to be more tolerant. Hashtag my Jesus is loving these three, excuse me, my Jesus is loving these three men are mean. Or maybe another one, hashtag, I'm so embarrassed to call myself a Christian. Or hashtag, this is why church is dangerous. Hashtag, they must have a good pastor. <laughs> I was just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm joking. I'm just fine. Now, let me remind you. They had done nothing wrong. They just didn't bow. They refused to bow their knee to a false god. There was no spectacle. There was no shaming. There was no outburst from them. There was no protest. Now listen, it was a quiet, simple act of obedience to their God. And it was perceived, it was perceived as civil disruption and disobedience to the culture, and it was deserving death. It was deserving cancel. Friends, listen, there's going to come times when your quiet, simple act of loving God out of obedience to his word will be perceived as a threat will be perceived as intimidation to a culture and you will feel as like you were in a no-win situation and the critics will come out and to the open and they may try to destroy you. There will come a time. For these men, the stage is set. Things don't look very promising. The king is, has informed the king has been informed. The king now as the leader of this ungodly culture now he's got to do something because he's got to save face he's the one that said it he's the one that's leading everybody to bow so he's got to do something and so the activity continues to increase the eyeballs continue to, to what's going on the attention was going all of a sudden news vans show up outside The mob would demand that someone pay for their act of disrespect to their God. The mob would d demand they're punished because they disrespected what I believe. The mob would destroy people's property and livelihood out of respect for those who felt disrespected. But for these three men, the attention's now stopped. This is a moment. The situation is uncertain. But there is something in these men. There's this thread that remains in those who are followers of God. It's a, it's a thread of the love of God, the kindness of God, and the strength of God and knees that will not bow. 
It's all throughout the scriptures. You even find it with Peter. When he was threatened, actually he was told, if you don't stop preaching in the name of Jesus, these are the same people that were threatening Peter that had crucified Jesus. They were people who could do it. There's something in the hearts of people who choose to follow God of what Peter would say is, is resonating deeper in their hearts out of Acts chapter 5. They would say, we must obey God rather than man. It was resonating in them. This was about obedience to the one they loved. But when you do that, criticism will come. And when your love for God causes you to stand instead of bow, number two, you will continue to be challenged to bow down. It's not going to stop. It'll keep going. We pick up the story when the king finds out in verse 13. It says, furious King Nebuchadnezzar ordered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be brought in. And when the men were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar asked, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you don't respect my gods and refuse to worship the gold statue I've set up? I'm giving you a second chance. But from now on, when the big band strikes up, you must go to your knees and worship the statue I have made. If you don't worship, you will be pitched into the roaring furnace. No questions asked. Now, we don't know everything that's going on here. Maybe the king liked Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Maybe he liked these guys from, from, from Israel because of their excellence. And earlier it says of their excellence of spirit, actually. Maybe he liked them. Maybe he thought, you know what, I, I got to give them a second chance. Maybe he thought, you know, they just didn't hear the first time. And so I'll tell them a second time. And they'll get it. All they had to do was just, just repent Say, you know what? You're right. I was wrong. You were right. The hashtags were right. I was wrong. All they had to do is repent to the king. I'm sorry I disobeyed. And then bow down to the idol when the music played. And if they did, they would live. But if they do not, they will be burned alive in the furnace. But then... What was, what's really interesting is, is King Nebuchadnezzar asked a question, which is really the key of this entire situation. He says, and if you don't obey, if, if you don't conform, if you don't apologize to those who are offended, if you don't bow, I will throw you in the furnace. And if that happens, listen, I'm a powerful man. If that happens... The scripture says, he asked this question, who is the God who can rescue you from my power? There's a challenge. Now these three men of God, they know the answer who that God is, but they don't know what, that, what their God's will is in this situation. They will trust, they will not trust in themselves to say, you know what, let's, let's compromise, let's just make this, God will understand. They, no, they don't lean on their own ability. They will not trust in the powers of this world. They will stand strong and they will trust in the Most High God, even if it costs them 
everything. It's like in the book of Joshua, when there, there was this, this challenge to do something that is evil or to give in to something that is evil. He says in 24:15, if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, I don't care. Choose this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house and my life, we will serve the Lord and him only. Why? Because I love him. Because I have set my sights on my God. And I will obey him and I will follow him because he is my God. And I've given him my life and he's given me his. And when your love for God causes you to stand instead of bow, you need to be aware, number three, you will receive courage from the Holy Spirit to stand. You will receive courage. These men have lived and they have embraced the countercultural lifestyle. They've been here for years, but they have, they have rejected the ungodly culture and how they live their life, but they've remained faithful to love and to serve, but they have chosen to live a countercultural lifestyle with confidence in God's power and God's purposes in their life. They did not live their lives as though the earth was their only home. They didn't live their lives as though, as though this earth is all I got, so I got to make sure I, I get everybody to like me and I do everything so, so that I can fit in. No, no, they, they, they lived their life for a God that would embrace them and hold them in his arms for eternity. They rejected that which was temporal and they locked their heart on that which will last forever. It's the same way for us in our lives. You will be tempted to adjust and lock your life on something that is temporary. But because we love God, we lock our lives unto him. These men have been faithful up to this point. So when faced with death to not bow to a culture, the king says, who is the God who can rescue you from my power? Maybe some of you have asked that question before. Yes, but if I, if I don't bow, maybe you've asked, who, who is going to rescue me? God wants you to know something today. He can be trusted with your life. We don't know the outcome, but he can be trusted so after the king answers this pretty arrogant statement, this is how these men answered the question. Your threat means nothing to us. If you throw us in the fire, the God we serve can rescue us from your roaring furnace and anything else you might cook up, O king. But even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, it wouldn't make a bit of difference, our, O king. We still wouldn't serve your gods or worship the gold statue you set up. These three men will not bow to anyone but their God. 
They trust in God's sovereignty. They trust in God's purposes. And they trust in God's power no matter what. This is a tremendous statement of maturity from these men regarding the deliverance of God in their lives. If he doesn't deliver us, it wouldn't make a bit of difference. I'm going to stay faithful to my God. They were saying they trusted the outcome if it meant death or if it meant life. That does not determine their obedience and their love for God. Their obedience to God wasn't based, now hear me today, of this guarantee of deliverance and rescue in their lives. It was based on knowing only God is worthy of their ultimate sacrifice. Only their God is worthy of their knees to bow and reverence and love to. They knew my life doesn't belong to me. It only belongs to him. They understood this. Much like the missionary Jim Elliott who went down to Ecuador to reach a group, a, a tribe that actually was, they didn't even know existed. They were, it was totally unknown. And they didn't know God. And so he began to make contacts with them, with him and the team. He began to reach out to them. And one day when he arrived, they set a trap for him. And he ended up being killed by them. But before he was killed, this is one of the statements that he made. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. He understood. I'm going to obey God. When you stand out of your love for God, he will give you courage to stand. And when your love for God causes you to stand instead of bow, number four, you can be confident God is standing for and with you. God is standing for and with you. We jump back in the story, starting verse 19, Nebuchadnezzar, after they had told them, we don't give a rip what you think, Nebuchadnezzar, his face purpled with anger, while Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego were talking, he cut them off and he ordered the furnace fired up seven times hotter than usual. He ordered some strong men from the army to tie them up, hands and feet, to throw them in the roaring furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, bound hand and foot, fully dressed from head to toe. They were pitched into the roaring fire. Because the king was in such a hurry and the furnace was so hot, flames from the furnace killed the men who carried Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to it. And while the fire raged around Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, suddenly King Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in alarm and says, didn't we throw three men bound hand and foot into the fire? That's right, O king, they said. But look, I see four men walking around freely in the fire, completely unharmed. And the fourth man looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar went to the door of the roaring furnace and called in Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the high God, come out here. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego walked out of the fire. Nebuchadnezzar said, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego 
He sent his angel and rescued his servants who trusted in him. They ignored the king's orders and laid their bodies on the line rather than serve or worship any God but their own. When you stand for God, and refuse to bow because of your love for him, he will stand for and with. We don't know the outcome, but what we do know is this world is not our home. What we do know is I'm living for something much greater than this place, I'll tell you that. But what I do know, I'm called to worship God while I'm on this earth with my life. I'm called to reach the culture that God has set me in. Why are you here in this culture? Because God's entrusted you with the culture to reach with the message of the gospel through your life. God has trusted you with the people around you for you to be distinct in how you live your life. Not for them to, to wonder, oh, I thought you go to church. Well, that's weird. I didn't know that. You're to be distinct. You're to be different. When the rest in the sea of humanity bows to worship a pagan idol, they are to look out over the sea of submitted humanity and see three people that do not bow. That's to be you. That's to be God's call on your life. When you stand for God out of your love for him, not your hate. No, no, not, that's not why we stand. We stand because my heart belongs to him. I don't own my life. He bought me with his own blood. Who am I to tell him what I can do and not do with my life? I will not bow. God will stand for and with you. There's this incredible account of Stephen in the book of Acts. What we know about Stephen, he was a servant. He, was, he, he helped clean tables. What we know about him is that one day he was preaching, and he was preaching to the religious leaders of the time. And he was telling them about Jesus and telling them about what they had done. And he did, he did not, he, he didn't pull any punches. He, you should read it out of Acts chapter 7. It's very powerful. He just goes boom, 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 boom. Tells them about Jesus. Tells them he was the Messiah. Tells them he was the one you were waiting on. And you killed him. Now he also knows that Jesus isn't dead anymore. He's been up and ministering. And this is, this is three and a half years after Jesus rose and, and rose from the dead. And then three and a half years after he ascended to heaven. So Stephen is full of the Spirit. And he begins to preach and it says, when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. I mean, he was preaching to the leaders of his culture, of the time. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw, now look at this, saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. This is the only place in Scripture where it says Jesus is standing at the right hand of the Father. All throughout Scripture, it says after Jesus arose and he, he ascended to heaven, he sat at the right hand of the Father. I mean, in other words, it's done. Sacrifice is made. 
payment has been paid. But here's Stephen standing out of his love for God, refusing to bow. And he preaches his, to all accounts his first and last sermon. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. They all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. They were pummeling his head and body with stones. And while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this against them. And we had, when he had said this, he fell asleep and he died. When you, because of your love for God, refuse to bow, he will stand with and for you. He will stand with you in the fire. He will stand for you if you are to step from this life into the next. But that doesn't matter. Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, no matter what happens, it doesn't matter. We will not bow. We will only bow to our Savior and our King. Regardless of the outcome, friends, when you stand for your God and your Savior, when you live your life as an offering to God, Jesus will stand for and with you through it all. We don't do it out of defiance. We don't speak truth to offend. But like these three followers of God in this passage, like Stephen, we stand out of love and adoration for the God who has saved us. It's a beautiful story out of the Book of Martyrs that impacted me when I was a young man. His name is Thomas Hawk. And there was a season in, in Christianity where from the Catholic Church, what was birthed was the Protestant Church. It's called the Reformation. And before, the Bible was only written in, in Latin to a, to a community or to a people that didn't speak Latin. And so they began to translate the Bible into common language. In the UK, it was English. And they began to, to print it so you could read it and you could find God yourself and you could learn. And, and, but this Bible said that everybody was priests and not just the one priest that can tell you what to do. But this Bible got caught on like wildfire and it was, it was a crime punishable by death to have one page of this Bible that's been translated into English. And what happened is there was much persecution against those who believed the priesthood of believer, who believed that you were saved by faith, not by works. And there were these three men who were captured by those persecuting the Christians. And all they had to do is recant. All they had to do is say, you're right. The Catholic Church is the only church. I submit myself back. All they had to do is recant. All they had to do is say, you're right. I cannot have the Bible in my own language. All they had to do is bow the knee. And as these three men stood before they were being led away to be burnt at the stake, they were, they were freaked out. They were scared. And they were talking amongst themselves like, what do, I, I don't know if I can do this. Or like, I don't know if I can just, I can't endure the pain. I can't endure the fire. I can't. And Thomas Hawk said, I'll go first. 
And so they had this agreement. They said, listen, if God meets you in the fire, give us a sign so we know that his grace meets you. So they led the three men out and they led Thomas over to the stake and they had poured fuel on the fire and they tied him to the stake and they lit the fire and Thomas's body began to be consumed. His clothes were consumed and he didn't move. His skin began to crack and break and burn and fall off of his body. His body became, became consumed by the fire. His hands were consumed with the fire. And he no longer had hands and he no longer had air. He had no longer clothes and he was a burning body. And the two men looked on and they were, they were filled with fear. Right when they thought it was over, two arms with no hands shot up in the air and he clapped them three times and he put them back down to his side and he died. God's looking for a Thomas Hawk. He's looking for a Shadrach, a Meshach, and a Bendigo. He's looking for a Stephen. He's looking for somebody who says, I will not bow. Will it be you? He's looking for a Daniel. Will it be you? Out of your love for your God, you will not bow. Any earthly sufferings any earthly difficulties, inconveniences, loss of a promotion, loss of a house, loss of a life. Out of your love, will you remain? God wants to strengthen you. Revival doesn't start in a broken world. It starts from a church that refuses to bow. And then we walk in the calling and the purpose that he's called us to walk in. The universities need a Daniel. The universities need a Stephen. Your high school needs a Shadrach. Your workplace needs a Meshach. Your family needs an Abednego. Refuse to bow. Refuse to bow. Honor God with your life. Trust in his call in your life. Trust in the spirit that lives inside of you. Make the decision. And when you do, my friends, God will stand with and for you. And we one day will step from this life into the next. And we will be rewarded for the choice we made here. We may see God's deliverance on this earth because I believe in it. I've seen it in my own life, but we may not. But that does not matter because we love God. We will serve you with our lives, even unto death. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for your word that speaks to us, that challenges us, 
God, I wanna thank you today for the Daniels that you have marked in this room, for the Shadrach, Meshachs, and Abednego's, for the Stevens. God, something has lit inside of them and you're calling them today. God, I thank you that you're gonna use Daniels and Stevens and these other men in the area of business, in the area of politics, in the area of law enforcement, in the area of the Senate, in the area of our Congress, in the area of our schools, in the area of our community leaders, in the areas of their workplace, in the areas of the medical world, in the areas of the legal world, in the areas of family, in the areas of our neighborhood, you're going to use us. And so today, God, with your grace and your help, out of our love for you, we make a decision. I will not bow. If you mean that today, can you say that with me? I will not bow. Say it again. I will not bow. Lord, we're going to be light and salt for a broken world. And you're going to use us. We thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name. If you're here today with every head bowed and every eye closed, and you would say that you do not know Jesus Christ, and that you want to know him, you want to be saved, you want to be secure, and you want to spend eternity with heaven. If you want to give your life to Jesus today, nobody's looking around. Just raise your hand right now and hold it up. God bless you. Thank you. Hold it up. You can make eye contact with God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Can you put your hands down. Bless you. Thank you. God bless you. I'm going to lead you in a prayer today. The Bible says if you believe it and confess it with your mouth, that you will be saved. If you're joining us online, you can do the same. And let's all pray together. And I want you to pray it with some passion today. And let's all say together, say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Cleanse my heart. I believe that you're the son of God. I believe that you died on the cross. I believe that you rose from the dead. And I give you my life today. I accept your forgiveness and I give you my life from this day forward. I belong to you. Use me how you choose. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a hand today. <clears throat> Thank you, Jesus. If you gave your life to Jesus today, there's a, a card right in front of you. Just fill that out. And you can drop it in the, or the, the bucket when you leave. Also, if you have a prayer request, you can do the same. But I don't want to leave here today without honoring some very special people. And so if you are here with us today, if you are a mother or a woman, can you please stand and stand just for a moment so we can honor you? And I'd like to pray over you today. Come on, let's give them a hand. We love you. Amen. I'd like to 
pray for you as women of faith. But I want to share with you why I had all the women stand. There's an article that I had, and I wanted to read it today to you. And so this prayer is for soon-to-be moms who are terrified as well as excited for the first-time motherhood. For single moms who cooks, cleans, and play with their children after a long day at work. Moms who gave birth and made the best decision to let their babies be raised by others. Mothers who adopted children and love them as their own. Grandmothers who provide love and advice to her children and grandchildren. Stepmothers who love and treat their stepchildren with love and respect. Foster mothers who have given a foster child a chance to have a family. Bereaved mothers who lost a child. The mother at heart who longs to have a baby but can't conceive. The mother of cute puppies and pets. The godmother who plays an integral, integral part of a child's spiritual upbringing. The teachers, the social workers, the neighbors, the friends who provide guidance to children. Aunts, cousins, friends, and babysitters who take care of the children when mom is not around. Today, we wanna to pray for you and pray God's blessing over your life. If you can, just extend your hand to these precious women today as we pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, God, I pray that you would bless these precious women who carry different burdens and carry different experiences from and to the people that you've called them to be a mothering presence to. But God, today we want to pray that your hand rest heavily on their life, that you release every burden of the enemy. That God, as mothers who often feel unappreciated today, may they receive a voice and your spirit that says, I love you and I'm proud of you and I value you and your worth is far beyond anything you can imagine to me. God, may they receive from you today the strength in the body, strength of emotion, strength of mind, strength, God, as ones who gird up under others and allow them to flourish and become responsible adults, those who feel overwhelmed and those who today, this is a difficult day. I pray that you would meet them, that you would bless these women, and that God, they would, they themselves would live their lives refusing to bow. But God, today may you surround them with strength, with peace, and may you encourage them with your presence today. In Jesus' name, we all say amen and amen. Amen. So moms, couple things. On your behalf, we, uh, we made a, a donation as a church from the Women of Faith to Ralston House, which is a child ad advocacy, child abuse center. So that's on behalf of you. We wanted to honor you that way. And then another thing we did is as you leave today, you have a chocolate covered strawberry 
that you are not allowed to give to any man in your life. You hear me? Do not do that. I don't care how young, it's still a man. Okay, don't, it's yours and we want to bless you. So let's all stand to our feet. And my friends, I love you. It's an honor to serve you as your pastor. It's an honor for our ministry team to serve you. It's the greatest honor of our lives, isn't it, Pastor Jim? It really is. And so we want to continue to serve you through the Word of God and equip you to be everything God's called you to be. Have an awesome Mother's Day. If you want prayer, our prayer team would be honored to pray with you and agree with you. God bless you. Have a great day. Love you.